obviously the report is a lot more comprehensive. It's close to 100 pages. There's no way we can go through every page in details. But what I want to cover is the main trends and issues that are facing by the sale manager super funds. You are listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to Update 31 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this update. So let's interrupt our regular program for an update, Update 31, about the new Class SMSF benchmark report that came out two weeks ago. For this SMSF benchmark report, Class uses its own data as well as ATO and APRA data and also data from other industry players, outlining important trends and changes in the SMSF landscape. In this update, Kevin Zhang, Technical Compliance Manager for Class, will walk you through the main points of this benchmark report. Here's Kevin Zhang of Class. So we basically use all the data that's currently hosted in the Class platform in cloud, but using the identified data from across our outline space. We basically use it to, you know, identify the contribution information, pension drawdowns, members balance, any trends that that's a result of um, recent changes by the last uh, through the legislations or ATO measures, as well as just general investment data that we can see from our platform. You know, the most popular access listed securities, international securities, exchange trend funds, managed funds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you basically take the data you have in your class platform and you combine it with APRA data. Not just APRA data as well as ATO data. So APRA publish their data on a quarterly basis, but predominantly fo focusing on, on APRA funds. ATO also publish their data. ATO is the regulator for so many super funds. So they publish their data on a quarterly basis as well, as well as a, a big piece for the annual ATO sale manager fund statistics. So we leverage both their data as well as our data. Class currently has roughly about 30% of the market share of all sale manager fund in this country. We do represent a proportion of, of the entire sale manager fund population. Do you know what percentage BGL holds? I'm not 100% sure because BGL used to hold their investment because they have two products previously. So one is Simple Fund 360, one is the Simple Fund Desktop. Simple Fund 60, they they probably can measure the funds very reliably, but Simple Fund 360, it's very, very hard to estimate because they sell license a batch of fives and it's a desktop. It's very, you know, if you have one fund, you put a five fund license, for example. Now they are it's gradually decommissioning the um the Simple Fund desktop and pushing everyone to cloud version. And I don't know how, whether they finished that project. But if you have to ask me my, my estimate, probably think combined with Simple Fund and cloud version, they probably have slightly higher proportion, maybe close to about 40%. And then you'll have your, another competitor we have is the MP Supermate software they probably have about 5% to 7% market share. The rest is, is in between different ledgers. Excel is, uh, is also very popular among accountants still using it to, to do their, their financial accounts uh, for seven super fund. So Excel, basically, when you have 
funds in contribution phase and you basically just... No, it's just things they built over time when there was no proper software previously. These days, I think it's very, very hard to administer a self-managed fund that's, in my view, compliant with all the rules and regulations purely on spreadsheets. Let's quickly have a superannuation industry overview, a couple of key statistics. So this is actually, uh, we've got a snapshot from the APRA data as at 31st March, 2022. Unfortunately, the June information is not available until end of end of August. So it's pleasing to say that you know, super fund industry is growing. It's currently worth over $3.4 billion of assets. In terms of sale super fund, it's roughly about 26%, which translates into dollar value is about $892 billion. The way I see it, the super fund industry really becomes modernized since the compulsory super introduced in the early 90s and the Paul Keating's government. It started with about 3%, now gradually increased to this year as 10.5. By FY 2025, we, the compulsory SG rate will be 12%. Uh, superannuation is basically, in, for most Australians, the second biggest assets outside of their, their home. So it is very, very valuable asset that people should care about. In terms of settlement super fund, now, we have finally surpassed the magic 600,000 mark. Having said that, I do want to qualify this number because this is at end of the March, we have 605,469. But usually the 30 June data will be a bit more accurate because a lot of one-up funds happen around 30 June or at least the lodgement stats happen around that time. And therefore, they may be a small retraction uh, in terms of net funding establishment. So we'll have to wait and 230 June data published by our power ATO to finalize the final number. For now, it's already exceeding the, the, the magic 600,000 mark. So as of 30th of June, the number of SMSFs usually goes down because if an SMSF gets wound up, it usually gets wound up as of 30th of June. Exactly. In terms of class data, average members per fund is 1.9. And it is not a surprise. It's close to two because most self-managed fund will be the mom-dad funds. Kevin, do you mind if we just quickly go back to the um, key statistics? Looking at the key statistics for the super industry, it really surprised me because they are big swings. So total superannuation assets, total APRA regulated assets, they all rose by roughly 10%, which is a big increase, I think, especially when you have share prices and asset prices that are down. So that was very impressive that the total assets still increased by 10%. Yeah, I, I do need to qualify this because this one doesn't have the 30 June data yet. The 30 June data, I will base one we observe, which I'll cover later, there will be a, a quite sizable decline because of the market crashes and, and the global events, uh, inflations. Yeah, that's a good point. 31st of March, yeah. And so the, the increase of 10% in assets probably is actually then due to increased asset prices from March 21 to March 22. Exactly. And plus but, the contribution data. Yes. But that's exactly where I want to lead to, contribution data. Member contributions increased by 60%. That is insane when you think about that half the country was in, in lockdown People were unemployed and contributions increased by 60%. How is that possible? It was member contributions though, not employer contributions, but member contributions. My 
take on this is you'd be surprised because of COVID lockdowns, people are not spending a lot of money. They are putting, if they do have opportunity, and they are putting extra money away for, for super funds, particularly if they are closing to, to their reti- retirement uh, ages. And the other reason is government has relaxed a lot of rules, particularly for all Australians to make a contribution for their super funds. This by removing you know, the work test for members over age of 67, and then as of recently, and the age of 75, that you can make additional contribution. Previously, you have to satisfy work tests in, in order to make those contributions. Downsize the contribution is another example where they lowered the age limit. So previously it was 65. Now 60, if you have downside, you change sell, sell your memory residence home, you can actually top up your super by making, making a contribution towards your super funds. And guess what? That legislation only happened first July and this year. Now Labor is proposing they lower the age limit further for downsides of contribution to age of 55. So it's cheap way for government to partially resolving the housing afford- affordability problem because it doesn't really cost government any revenue losses by effectively allow more, potentially more stocks um, become available in the market. But at the moment, given the rising interest rate, the, the property market is, is still quite tough, 10 to 15% decline uh, in, in the next, next, next couple of years uh, if the interest keep going up. Do you see a big take up of downsizer contributions? Because I haven't seen... Not a huge number, but if... The members and the trustees actually have got good advices. It's a very powerful strategy to actually boost up their super without limits. Because uh, these days, because of 2017 super reform changes, where government has put uh, a concept of total super balance, which means if your total super balance now used to be 1.6, now indexed to $1.7 million, then you cannot make additional non-constitutional contribution into the super fund. But that does not apply to downsizer contribution. Not only that, it does not apply to age limits. So it doesn't matter how old you are, if you want to sell your family home, it doesn't mean, it says downsizing, but there are people using this strategy to um, upsizing their home. As long as they they sell their main residence home, they hold for 10 years. And, And if they derive those capital gains, they can make a contribution to the super fund. So it's, very, very powerful strategy where you can boost up 300000 for each member. And wealth and seed downsize contribution will combine with non-concessional contribution, so which is another $110,000 on top of it. So it is a very, very powerful strategy where you can significantly boost your super. And I've seen some clients where they've never thought about selling a super fund, but because their balance was not, say, threshold of 200000 but with downsizer, they got enough money to, to set up sell minister fund easily. If they got good advice from, from, from people understand the strategy, it, it is very, very powerful. And then another big swing is benefit payments. Lump sum benefit payments reduced by 38%. So that is also a big swing. The reason that that's the case is, is because on March 21, uh, members were still eligible to take the COVID payments, you know, the extra $10,000 from upper funds. It does not actually impact so many super funds hugely, but but for our upper funds, we know a lot of uh, members have applied for that early access. I see. So that means the March 21 numbers were 
artificially inflated due to the COVID withdrawals. Hence, the March 22 numbers just came back to a normal level. Exactly. And that's why because of the net inflow outflow, and you will see a, a whopping 500% increase in the net contribution flows. That's because of Northdown. So the COVID payments has been removed. You cannot do that anymore. Good. So these were general industry statistics. So now we come to the statistics for class. We have roughly, as I said, roughly about 30% market share. We have, as of 30 June 22, we have 182,635 funds on class platform, which worth about $296 billion. Average balance in class is about $1.62 million per fund. Average members is roughly about half, which is 861. Female members is roughly about 794 thousand dollars and male members is about 944. What surprised me is that the average number of SMSFs per business is 110. So that means of all the accountants who are using class, the average number of SMSFs is 110, correct? Yes, yes. That is quite a high average, I think. So that just means that accountants with many funds are more likely to use class and accountants with less funds are more likely to use um, to use BGL. And I think that is due to the pricing structure because I think class has quite a high entry fee, whereas BGL, you can start with, with the license for five, correct? I will qualify that. This is average number, not a medium number. Medium number, I think, was was about, I can't remember exactly, about 30, 30 or 30 to 40 funds. The reason class average of funds is very, very high compared to the rest of accounting practice is because we tend to find the big fund administrators and the big accounting firms, they will use class because of the efficiency gain using class software. I think ATO has a stats which we haven't measured that. So because almost the entire population of Salman and Fund do use a tax agent lodging returns, they are only a handful, I want to say less than 100 tax agent lodging more than 500 sale manager super funds. And last time I counted, majority is actually using class. Now, I also do an analysis of top 100 accounting firms published by AFR every year, and usually around November. And again, class penetration rate uh, into the top accounting firm is very, very high. All top 20 accounting firms use class. Top 30, we have 94%. Top 40, we have over 80, 80%. So one of the reasons using classes is, is the data feeds and, and automatic journal entries. So it makes things a lot more efficient, a lot more fast. That's why if we do large amount of funds, over 1,000, using class, you can get huge efficiency. And using less administrators, uh, accountants actually doing the processing because you leverage a lot on, on the back end of class uh, automation solutions. That's why our average number is very high. The medium number is not. SMSF faces and structures? We compare our data with ATO data. So what I, what do I mean by so many super fun faces um, is uh, well, if, if the fund is in accumulation phase, so the members are not retired, so all the members will most likely continue to make contributions and they pay about 15% tax. Then you have a scenario where those members enter retirement phase, they will put the money into pension accounts 
and therefore their their tax rate is close to to zero percent. So the entire income generally is, is tax tax free. And then you have a mixed and what called mixed face. So this is where because government since two thousand seventeen introduced the maximum amount you can put into retirement face, which was at one point six million dollars, which has indexed it to one point seven. But if you have balance, say a two million dollars, and if you enter retirement phase now, you you only can put one point seven into retirement phase, and you you can still have the three hundred thousand dollars stay in the super fund, or it taken out as a lump sum. But if you stay in the super fund, it becomes what we call a mixed phase. Based on class data, our members tend to be uh, a bit a bit older, a bit more. Affluent in the in the sense that their, their balance is bigger or more than ATO's average, and because of that, and we tend to have slightly higher percentage in members in retirement phase and in mixed phase. But it's not hugely different. So in the mixed phase about two percent difference, and uh, the retirement phase is only about one percent. Now the next thing I want to talk about is the trustee structure. So generally there are two type of trustee structure: individual and corporate trustees. Industry trend has shifted away from using individual trustees, uh, moving more to corporate trustee for a number of reasons, and the, the one reason is trustee penalties that are introduced by the government and in, imposed by ATO. If you have corporate trustee, only one trustee is liable for that. If if there's trustee penalties, but if you have four member funds, each member are individual trustee members, then the number of trustees potentially liable for penalties is four. So for that uh, risk, uh, a lot of settlement funds these days, I think the recent ATO stats, I've seen 80% of settlement funds created these days were by default using a corporate trustee. And the other reason is uh, is for continuous of a settlement fund. If a member passed away, uh, if you have a, a corporate trustee, it's it's much easier to administer uh, the fund introduce that stability. I'm surprised that based on your data, you still have 35% of individual trustees. That surprises me. I, I would have Oh, that's that ATO. That's the ATO. ATO's class oh, okay. data is actually 29% individual trustee, 71% uh, corporate trustee. But even 29% is still quite high, I find. I guess it's older SMSFs that were established a while ago that have individual trustees. Yes. You know, if any advisors out there, they probably will uh, encourage clients moving away from individual trustees for the reason I explained before. The other thing is the number, uh, we have 271% of trustee and average 1.9 members per fund, and those members usually will be corporate trustees as well. This equate to roughly about 260,000 directors of corporate trustee. So this is our touch base. One of the challenges facing by Salmonism Fund is to comply with the direct ID uh, regime. Yes, which is due in November. Yes, <laughs> you're perfectly aware of this. The next one I want to talk about is the concept of contribution rebalancing. This is, again, driven by 2017 super reform. So previously, if you have a lopsided super fund, and let's say, you know, husband-wife fund, husband somehow had a much higher balance and wife has lower balance. And let's say, for example, has a husband's got over $3 million and, and the wife's only got $200,000. In the previous, you know, before 2017 regime, that fund, there's nothing wrong. You can keep the fund like that state and put the entire $3 million into pension phase. Absolutely nothing wrong with the fund. You still get 100% tax free. 
But since 1st July 2017, that's no longer the case because the maximum amount this member with much higher balance can put into retirement is 1.6 that time. So you have to um, reduce that 3 million to 1.6 in pension and 1.4 in, in, uh, in accumulation. And because of that structure, the 1.4 million in accumulation, if you derive earnings, you have to pay tax, which is that 15%. But if you balance in the fund and exactly the same balance for the whole fund at 3.2, but if both members are able to reach about 1.6 million each and both members enter retirement phase, guess what? Their tax, they have no tax to pay and all the earnings derived on that 3.2 million settlement uh, super fund balance is completely tax-free. So with your income, you want to do income splitting and with your SMSF assets, you want to do asset splitting because it's a lot better if both are under 1.7 million than if one is over 1.7 million and the other is far below 1.7. Not entirely. <laughs> the most common strategy people use is called contribution split, but there's a limit. The contribution split generally only applies to the concessional contribution and which currently the maximum you can put away is 27,500. But this, the amount you can split and give to your spouse is 80% of that because the remaining 15% tax has to pay by that member. And the 80% after the tax is paid, you can let the, the other spouse, the lower, the spouse with lower balance to, 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 to increase the member balance by that. But you can only do maximum 27,500 per year. So it's not a huge amount. So what, what becomes powerful, uh, this suggests downsizer contribution. Uh, this suggests if one member is able to access the super, for example, they reach to retirement or attain preservation ages, they can start a transition to retirement pension and they can just take payments from their balance and give to a spouse, whether male or female, doesn't matter. The, the best spouse with lower, lower balance, he or she can uh, contribute to the super in the form of concessional or non-concessional contribution. So over time, you can gradually reach that equilibrium, the rebalancing, but you can't do that overnight. You can't do that in one go. So that's why we can see a shift, particularly for female non-concessional contribution. It's interesting to see they're consistently exceeding the male balance. And part of them, they obviously they're putting more away for non-concessional contrib uh, contribution purposes. Part of it is probably related to this um, rebalancing or um, try to reach the equi equilibrium. So it's not so much asset splitting, but contribution splitting. Contribution or basically one member take money from super fund, give member, give the other member, the other member put it into the super fund. So you still have to do a uh, you know, cash out, cash in, but one's a pension payment and the other one's recontribution, whether in the form of non-concessional or concessional, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But that's that's very powerful strategy. May I ask you a very basic question? I shouldn't know this, but it has slipped my mind. Contribution tax, does that go all the way through or does that also stop when you are in pension phase? That goes all the way through, correct? There's two forms of contribution generally. Uh, let's say ignoring the low contribution SG. So for personal voluntary contribution, there's concessional and non-concessional one. So non-concessional one is the amount that it's already, you know, the money you already received after tax and you're making. Yeah, so there is no contribution tax. Yeah, there's no contribution tax applied. But one of the things is actually very powerful is once you start a pension with the non-concessional contribution component, it becomes your tax-free component. 
So tax-free component, when you eventually pass away and pass to your adult children, they are tax-free. So if they are single members, for example, they do this recontribution strategy, taking money out, put as non-constitutional contribution. This way, they can gradually increase their tax-free component. And that has been very popular already for years, isn't it? It is, to, it is. To take super out and then to re-contribute it as non-concessional so that it goes into the tax-free component. Did lose its popularity because of TRIS lose its pension exemption status and lose popularity because the maximum people can put into retirement phase is 1.7. But 1.7 now. But what I try to say is even just within that, I can see there is a tendency, particularly for sale managers, who with good advisors, try to reach and and in particular when they see the fund out of balance or lopsided funds, if they implement this, you can maximize your tax savings over time, and that's why we can see, surprisingly, if everything being equal, right? Generally, I suggest the number the male members are average on class is about one hundred forty-four thousand, female is seven hundred ninety-four thousand. You will see. You know, if I have more money, I probably put, make more non-concessional contribution. But that's not true. Female is catching up. Female is actually doing more non-concessional contributions. So with this recontribution strategy, you would do a commutation, correct? From pension back to accumulation, and then you would pay it out, correct? And then you would recontribute it and move it back into a pension phase. To some extent, yes, that's possible. But the idea is to reach that equilibrium so that you can maximize the tax benefits. Now, the next thing I want to briefly touch base is lodgement stats. I actually found some of the establishment stats. Um, I do believe you have seen the coverage and, and it's quite consistent. So, so it is trending up, not as popular as, let's say, 2015, 16, and or after that, there was probably more establishment, but it's trending up in a sense that the net establishment, so funds established compared to funds one up, is is trending towards about 25,000 funds per annum or 2,100 funds per month. So it's still quite a sizable increase in, in terms of n number of semi super funds. But what's interesting, we, we observed, and that data is very consistent with ATO data, is that the age group that are getting into the sale money super fund by establishing them is the highest is between the age of 35 to 44. SAFY22, that only counts about one third or 30%. So that's quite significant because historically, sale money super fund, people think about, oh, it's only people close to retirement age, all people uh, who want to set up some money super fund. That's no longer the case. It's people still in their in their prime and, and in their working force are, are considered doing, you know, control their own retirement savings. And there's no age limit. You could set up a super fund for a newborn, correct? Technically, yes, but obviously you still need to have a legal representative that can administer the funds on their behalf. But the problem is with newborn, there's very a limit opportunity for them to make contributions, if you know what I mean. So unless you, but there are people uh, all age can set up their sale money super fund as well. Classic example that I have given you was people sold their family home, now got a huge amount of money and they want to set up their super. There's no <laughs> limits. Well, limits is 300,000 per member. And, but if you have two members, it's easily 600,000. And that's a very sizable and you can put away for your retirement savings. But coming back to uh, babies or toddlers or children of all ages, 
if the parents have the money, they could still, in theory, make $110,000 of non-concessional contributions for their children every year. They, so by They can. The problem with usually people with younger children, they tend to have a lot of other commitments. Commitments, yes. Yeah. Mortgages, bring up children. It can be costly, school fees, private school fees. Because um, if you're putting 100000 like now the the, the non-concession of 110,000, you can, for, for, for mana, you cannot access the money until they reach their retirement. 65. Yes. Okay. Yeah, six, 65 at, at the moment. Who knows by the time those those babies or children retired at the age, retirement age maybe have lifted to 67 or even 70. For uh, almost 60 plus years, you cannot access the money for other purposes. And if you have mortgages and other commitments, you probably want to use off that money first. I agree. But just in theory, you could establish an SMSF for somebody who is one day old and you could contribute 110,000 every year plus 27,500 concessional every year, just in theory, if you had the cash. Yes. Um, I think there was an article in the Fin Review about, was that 700 young Australians? I think less than less than age of 20 was twenty got got average balance over a million dollars or something in their super. So yes, there are people putting more money away for their kids, but it's ex- extremely rare uh, that, that we, we can see it's not not the norm. The next one, this one was touched mentioning the webinar is from the SMS Association, Peter Burgess. They commissioned a study with Adelaide University. This is more measure about the average performance of Salmanus Super Fund for the last three years. And the data they used is predominantly class plus BGL data from the period of 2017 to 2019. So what they did establish is that there was a ASIC guidelines suggesting that in order to set, set up Salmanus Super Fund to be worthwhile uh, so that you, you, know, you have to have a minimum balance of half million dollars. This study basically uh, reject that claim. And it's roughly about 200,000. You can see the performance has flattened, uh, whether between 200 to 500,000, there's no material difference in terms of performance based on the balance. The misconception in the industry where they think some of the super funds are very expensive, it's only for the rich people in this country, that's not always the case. And they, they believe paper basically suggests you have to have this balance before you can consider Salman a super fund and would basically reject that, um, yes. that claim. Yeah. So the balance is probably not 500,000, but more around 200,000. Exactly. And to be honest, and this is quite consistent with ATO data, where they indicated that average new funds credit was about 417,000. If we split between two members, it's about 200,000 per member. Now, in terms of performance, so, and we did briefly touch base initially, but I do want to cover in this area is that Assembly Super Fund continues to show resilience. And in my view, there are major macroeconomic factors that impact the performance of the Assembly Super Fund. I'm using just unfortunate class, don't have all the FY20 financial accounts finalized. So we can't accurately measure that until probably this time next year. But what we can see the net asset position of the Super Fund as of now. So we can see. The ASX 200 index, for example, has dropped about 10%. This is compared to the beginning of 1st July 21 to 30 June 
2022. But the net assets on class has declined about 3.1% for Sam and Superfund. Now, they were using the 5% quarter two. That's because they compared that, that quarter. But if you look at the whole year, it's, it's, it's about 3.1% decline. The ASS 200 is being down 12% over that quarter. But if we spread across the whole year, it's about 10%. Now, I don't want to cut, probably don't need to go, go through the macro factors, but uh, you, most people probably are already aware the inflation has driven most of the central government to raise interest rate. When you raise interest rate, you will have a negative impact on property prices and the bond prices. The other thing we observed is that prior to this shock, there are a lot of investors in so-called technology stocks. So in Australian ASX, it will be the acronym of WAX. So WASTAC, there's the zero. There's uh, Afterpay, now, now uh, part of Block. In the American market, it's the FANG, basically of Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. So if we have invested in those um, tech stocks uh, as of FY2022, uh, you may have suffered quite sizable paper losses. So the reason I say paper losses, you won't crystallize until you actually sell those investments. Most likely, many selling firm makes experience a loss, and probably the first loss since, since uh, GFC. But I do believe self-managed super fund generally has traditionally been very flexible and resilient. The reason I say that is because of the observation we had when we had the COVID losses and, and the GFC. And because a lot of trustees and advisors were suggesting to moving from risky assets to defensive investments, such as you know, high interest bank account, term deposit, fixed interest securities. So self-managed super fund always better positioned to weather those type of uh, volatile market conditions. But we have to wait and see uh, the performance uh, of next year. Maybe the last bit, I, I, like there are a lot of opportunities for sell super funds and it, it is a resilient sector and continuing growing very, very strong. It's well regulated by the ATO. Most of the trustees and members are doing the right thing by the books. So it's a very healthy sector in my view. It's a sector, I use the word accidental success. It's because the regional government and the Paul Keating, he never thought about the sizable industry for sale managed super fund. It was just an afterthought about addressing some defined benefit issues. But you know, after 30 years, that sale managed super fund industry now becomes almost one third of the entire super industries. It's continued to grow. Even though it's 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 serving one roughly about one point one three five million members, but those members have very sizable balances in, in their retirement savings. And I still believe the success story will continue to grow. A bit may not be the rapid rates, but we can see the younger generation, millennials and generation Zs are are you know making making effort and want to control their retirement savings. So Selman and Superfund are also facing some headwinds. And once the headwinds, particularly there's a couple of issues I, will, I want to identify. One is Superstream. The other one is Direct ID. Order independence is another concern for some of the county practices. And, and we also uh, observed uh, lodgement delays. So it's a stats on lodgement delays. Um, so we don't know exactly the reason. I can only some of the causes for the delay. So FY19, 
the government has allowed uh, lodgement extension to 30 June. That's why by 30 June, there's only 78% of the returns have lodged on time. FY20, there was no lodgement extension, so the lodgement on time rate was 86%. But the recent data I've seen in unclass is seems to be a sizable decline. So there can be a number of reasons. Most of class clients probably already apply extension for those lodgements. But what I believe there's a couple of potentially issues that impacting this. One is obviously COVID, which will impact both trustees members as well as accounting or final administration uh, staff um, if they're going to impact flood. And so Australia did suffer uh, flood this year and potentially impacting a lot of regional accounting practice as well as suburban practices and a staff shortage. So this is universal. We heard the terminology of the great resignation. So packing a lot of business with uh, staff shortage uh, equally applied to accounting and, and some of the administration firms. And the last one I can think of is the auditor issue. The audit numbers have been declined over the last five years, but the demand for auditors are particularly independent auditors are still very, very strong. And because of the government introduced measures for you know, independent audits, so you no longer can use in-house audits or network audits to do your audit. So this puts pressure. So if the number of orders in the industry has been declined, but number of funds has been increased, someone have to do the additional work, if you know what I mean. And every sale minute super fund before the lodgement, they have to be audited. And therefore that potentially cause delays in lodgement. Why do you think director IDs are a headwind for SMSFs? This is because I see the data from ATO, okay? You can see in our benchmark report, it's towards the, towards the end. And uh, so Aaron Down from Smart SMSF has put a nice summary about director ID. And you all know the transition date is for most existing corporate trustees and our director of a company is by... 30th November 2020. Now, what ATO has uh, revealed their minutes uh, in relation to the, the Australian Business uh, Register meetings, as at 30 June 2020, only about 600,000 direct IDs issued. And 84% are in relation to existing directors and 16% are new directors. But what the government has originally estimated they need to onboarding 2.7 million directors in this country. Now, if we times 600,000 by 84%, divided by 2.7 million as the total population, so only less than 20%, so 18.7% of directors have been compliant with the new rules. And the vast majority of, of which is over 80%, have not yet done that. And we only have about three months to comply with this rule. It's, it's a huge number. So one of the things that make it very difficult, direct IDs, when the government introduced, they kind of only allow the directors themselves to apply for direct ID. They didn't, unlike an AC forms, tax returns, they didn't allow, allow the third-party model where you can have authorized tax agents or ASIC agents or financial advisors to help them to get direct IDs. So those directors are, have to do it themselves. There's no mechanics for, for third party to help them. So we have roughly about over 2 million directors in three months. 
I highly doubt that they were able to meet that compliance deadlines. Is there any talk of allowing registered tax agents to apply for director IDs for that? Plan? That's something I'm hoping to lobby the government about this, but I don't know whether you've seen a paper in the media. Government already overspent the budget on pushing those measures. It was a number of $1 billion they spent on this. And not, not just, just direct IDs, but consolidating all other registers, moving that to ATO from ASIC. So I'm not sure whether they were willing to spend additional infrastructure to support this properly. What I can predict is most likely they have to extend or, or come up with better ways for, for, for people to transition to that compliance. Okay, so, so far we covered online lodgement has been declining. Auditors are an issue, are a bottleneck. And then we discussed director ID. So the last headwind we haven't covered yet is Superstream. Why is Superstream a headwind for SMSFs? Superstream, I do believe it's good intention. And same with direct ID. The, the intention is pure. The intention is to able to achieve efficiencies. The problem, and uh, this, our data also proved that since the introduction of super reform, uh, super stream measures for for rovers and release authorities, and we call it digital release authorities, there's no significant increase or uptake of in terms of rovers, things and rover. The numbers actually declining. And I thought when you're introducing mechanics that in theory should facilitate, make it easier, more efficient for accountants working that space to do rovers for for their clients, the number should increase, but that's not actually the case here. Can you actually give a short summary of what Superstream is? Okay. Superstream is government introduced our standards of sending electronic messages and payments between the super fund so that in theory, it should improve the efficiency and the turnaround of rovers. It's already working for contributions, particularly the employee contributions, even some and super fund. Uh, contributions have to be sent by Superstream. With introducing of the single touch payroll, all these are very similar and working uh, beautifully. Superstream also applies to upper funds and for upper fund rovers between the upper funds, it has been implemented for easily for the last, last seven, eight years and it's working nicely as well. So it's only from 1st October last year they want to extend that Superstream measures for sale managed super fund rovers. So this is rovers between sale managed super fund to upper funds or upper funds to sale managed super fund or sale managed super fund to another sale managed super fund, as well as release authorities. So this is your div 293 tax, your excess non-constitutional non-constitutional tax, which the trustees can make a election as the super fund to release the amount of money to pay that tax. Uh, on their behalf. So that's what this Superstream measure is introduced to basically make the messaging and the payment purely electronic. And they want to reduce this, the rovers from what used to be uh, industry standard of you know, two to three weeks to three business days. The problem we identified, because we, we do work closely with a lot of clients, is what I call information asymmetries. This is on two fronts. One is on the ATO, which is the regulator of Selman Superfund, and the other one is the upper funds. So ATO has provided additional service to verify members' details. So they call SMS ticks, 
and verify the settlement from details called SMSF Verification Services, SVS in short. The problem is when you're sending your payloads to validate against those member tick or SVS, ATL doesn't tell you exactly what the mistake or error is. All they tell you is this is not a valid member, the fund is not valid. They don't tell you which area, which part of the information is, is incorrect. It's like they are holding all the cars close to the chest, let you guess what the car is, but they don't tell you, you know, whether the car is, you know, red or black or it's a, it's a picture card or it's a numeric card. So it makes things very, very difficult for accountants to, to comply with. And the other thing makes things even worse is because of privacy reasons, a lot of accountants or tax agents for the sale manager fund who are not necessarily the tax agent for the members themselves. So they, they, they're not, they do not have the authority to act on behalf of the member in dealing with the ATO or, or the upper funds. And therefore, it makes things even more difficult. On the upper fund side, there are criticisms already received by the Sale and Super Associations where there, there seems to be some delay tactics by the upper funds. Because if majority of the case we, we see is actually upper funds uh, roll the money to Sale and Super Fund rather than the other direction. The split is roughly about 70-30. couple of reasons. One is they don't have... So in order to support these, the upper funds need to upgrade their own systems and technologies and process to support the new version of rollover payment standards and the core version three. They don't tell you which upper funds is currently ready to, to receive this. So you, you send a payment that they, they may not have your system able to handle that properly. And so that's one. There's no central place you can validate uh, superannuation upper funds, what they call a unique superannuation identifier, a USI, or the bank accounts for the upper funds. It, it becomes a challenge. So in theory, ATL is supposed to provide part of that service for us. And a lot of upper funds also require members to, to if we initiate a role of on their fund, to prove their identities uh, manually. So you need to send your copy of your bank account, your IDs, that kind of defeat the whole SuperStream because SuperStream is designed for electronic transaction purposes only. You know, if they ask you to send in your bank statement by paper to verify, it just delayed the whole process. And the other frustration we have is SuperStream rollover payment standards. They only support one type of payments, which, which is electronic fund transfer. Most of the banks, the big four banks, do have a daily limit of how much you can transfer through EFTs, and they usually are less than $100,000. But if you do a full rollover of your entire super balance, it's often exceeding that balance. So at the moment, we cannot see the easy solutions for that. ATO being suggesting you had to do multiple rollovers, but again, <laughs> it defeats the whole purpose of this you know, seamless electronic means. So those, what I believe are, are effectively teething issues will be addressed over time by the industry and also educate both the upper and some of super farm players in the industry once, once they are familiar with the process and, and sorting out the existing issues. Hopefully over time, it will become much smoother transitions. And that, that actually happened with upper funds as well. The initial implementation of uh, rollover between upper funds did take a, a lengthy time, but once they 
sort out those issues. What was done within three days, I think, was reducing average average transaction costs for from roughly about fifty dollars to less than ten dollars. So we want to see that success in some of the super fund as well, but we have to be a bit more patient with with the ATO and our upper funds. Obviously, the report is a lot more comprehensive. It's close to 100 pages. There's no way we can go through that every page in details. But what I want to cover is the main trends and, and, and issues that are facing by the sale managed super funds, which I believe we have covered quite well. Welcome back. So this was a quick walk through the latest class SMSF benchmark report, giving you a short overview of the position of self-managed superannuation funds in Australia. In the next episode, in part one of episode 363, let's go back to our mini-series about offshoring. Following on from episode 358 to 360, let's look at how to find your offshore staff when you want to build a direct team, so not going through a labor hire agency. How do you find an accountant overseas with the skills you need? That is the question for next week. And we will also do an update soon about the land tax changes in Queensland. As you have probably heard, the Queensland government has introduced new legislation that changes how land tax for property in Queensland gets calculated. Currently, a person's land tax liability is calculated only based on land holdings in Queensland, but from next year... The value of all land holdings across the whole of Australia will be used to determine a landholder's access to thresholds and the rate of tax payable in Queensland. So this is highly relevant to our clients who live and own land in Queensland, but also to landholders in other states who don't live in Queensland, but own land in Queensland. So we will need to cover this soon as well, probably in the week after. So next week we will do part one of episode 363, but then we will probably do a quick detour into an update about Queensland land tax before we go back to part two of episode 363. So next week, let's start with how to find staff overseas. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.